0: Uh, the reason we do this, we do this every now and then. I really don't have a schedule for it. It's just kind of as uh, as it seems right. Um, I didn't know that I was going to do this until right at the end of prayer school and um, then made an announcement in there. But uh, the reason that I do this is during the time that um, I was working with Brother Hagan, I heard him tell a story about uh, the fellow that he said was the best pastor he ever knew. And, uh, I wasn't interested in pastoring in those days, but the story stuck with me. He said this. He said he wasn't a great preacher. He said he wasn't, uh, he, did, he had no ability to teach whatsoever. He had no, uh, um, ministry gift of teaching. He said he was a so-so preacher. He was okay. Nothing, nothing outstanding. He said, but the thing that made him such a good pastor was he had an answer for people's questions when they came. And I, I remember thinking at the time that, um, uh, that that must be a really important thing. Well, after 27 years of pastoring, I realized that a lot of times you can give somebody all the information in the world, but if you can't give them the answer to their question, then that one question or the lack of the answer, the, the answer that they don't have, can be the very one thing that keeps them from receiving from God. So it's appropriate and and, and seems good. It's uh, worked well for us in the past to, um, to take questions periodically and, and answer. Now, the reason that we do it like this, if you've been around here any length of time, you know that I'll pretty much stay as long as somebody wants to stay. If they've got questions and they have things they want to ask and and stuff like that. But basically, and again, this is over 27 years of of pastoring here at the church, um, everybody's got the same questions. Nobody's got anything new or a variation of the same question. It may not be exactly the same, but it's going to be pretty similar. And for that reason, instead of giving everybody individual answers, thank you, sir, Instead of giving everybody individual answers to the, to the same question, it's better for the, the congregation, for the crowd, to hear the answer because a lot of times the answer that we give to somebody else's question will have something that will tail into what somebody else's question is that they haven't asked. Some people are too embarrassed to ask questions. And so they just go through life letting the, the lack of information, the lack of knowledge, keep them out of the things of God. So that's the reason we do this. And, and our intent is to uh, uh, to help people. Uh, we, um, we're going to... Um, Take care of the questions that we have on the area of healing first and foremost. If somebody asks me who the Antichrist is, I'm not going to deal with that tonight. I didn't say I didn't know, but we'll try to stick with the area of healing. And, um, uh, if, if you have questions, if you haven't, if you're still writing it out or something comes to you and you want to, want to add it in, that's fine. We're, this is a real informal thing. So I'm not concerned about, you know, decorum or anything like that. My purpose here is to try to help people and and get them the answers that they need. Okay, question number one. It says, I'm in faith, but I wonder why healing takes time to show up. Well, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter six. There's any number of scriptures we could use for this. But we'll start in Ephesians chapter six. One thing that I've found in uh, in teaching faith and ministering healing for uh, the period of time that I have, that the Lord has had me do this, the number one question everybody has is time. When? Pastor Mike, how long? Whatever. Most questions about faith come down to time. Because time's a real issue, because we want it now, right? Ephesians chapter 6 Paul said, beginning in verse 10, he said he's summing up the letter, he's putting the capper on everything that he said up to this point, and he's really saving the most important things to last. And he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Notice it doesn't say anything about being strong in yourself. It says be strong in Him. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might literally means rest in Him. Now, anybody can do that. If he said be strong in yourself, then some people are going to have strength and they can do that and other people aren't going to have strength and they won't be able to do that. But he didn't say a word about being strong in yourself. He says be strong in the Lord. Now, in our application, where healing is concerned is be strong in the finished work of Jesus concerning healing. Because if the devil can't talk you out of that, he can't take healing from you. Even though he may be attacking your body with sickness or infirmity. He can't take healing from you if you don't give up on the finished work of Jesus in the area of healing. So he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now, why did he say put on the armor of God and everything will work out overnight? Why did he say putting on the armor of God, being strong in the Lord and putting on the armor of God was a necessary ingredient to keep the devil from having success? Standing against the wiles of the devil, that means to keep the devil from having success. So if we're talking about sickness and disease, we're talking about to keep the devil from having success in putting sickness or keeping sickness or disease in your body. How do you keep him from having success where sickness and disease is concerned in your body? Put on the armor of God. That's how you are strong in the Lord. Now, the armor of God, if you go through the different pieces of the armor, every bit of it has to do with what you think and the recognition that you have of what Jesus has already done. That's what every bit of it is. Every bit of that, those pieces of the armor are you accepting to be the reality what Jesus has already done. Having your lorange girt about with truth. Well, what's truth? Jesus said the word of God is truth. In other words, make the foundation of everything else the word. Not what the doctor says, not what the devil says, not what your feelings tell you, but the word of God. Now, if you're not doing that, you're not being strong in the Lord. If you're not doing that, if you're not taking the word as the final authority, then that means you're not being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might because you're not taking that piece of the armor. Here's where a lot of people have problems is because they'll go back and forth. They're double-minded. They'll say, yes, I believe God. They'll get in a service and get all charged up and the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost is here. And they'll say, yeah, I believe God's word is true concerning healing. And then tomorrow they wake up and their body still hurts. And so then, then they think, well, man, I want it to be true. Is it really true? Well, that's not having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins girt about with truth literally means to accept the word of God as the final authority on the subject. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, and your body doesn't feel any better. You say that doesn't matter because God's word hasn't changed. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So the first part is to be strong is uh, the Lord's girl about with truth. Second thing is having on the breastplate of righteousness. How many Christians do you know that are waiting to be righteous when they get to heaven? 95 plus percent maybe? They've got the idea that righteousness will be imparted to them when they get to heaven and they lose their flesh. Folks, you will never be any more righteous in heaven than you are right now. Now that's bad news to some people because they don't understand what I'm saying. They hear that and they'll think that that means they're not going to be righteous in heaven. The reality is you've already been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, even if you're stumbling over your flesh a hundred times a day, you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I'm just making such a mess of my life and I can't seem to do anything right. and I can not I don't have the power to overcome temptation in my flesh. That doesn't change the fact that you've been made righteous by Jesus. Yeah, but if I've been made righteous by Jesus, shouldn't I be living better? Yeah, you should. But the more you focus on the fact that you have been made righteous, the more strength, spiritual strength, you'll become aware of so that you can live better. See, if you're waiting to to live better so that that's proof of your righteousness, it's never going to change. But instead, if you'll put on the armor that says you've already been made righteous, which is the breastplate, the breastplate's the biggest piece of the armor there is. It's your defense against the devil because you know as well as I do that every time you mess up, every time you slip, every time you stumble, the devil's right there telling you how worthless you are. Well, guess what? The Bible says even when you slip and stumble and fall, you're not worthless. The Bible says you're still righteous. Now, that's hard for our mind to accept. So what does that mean? That means we're going to have to choose between what we think or what the natural inclination to think is or the truth of the word. But we've already girded ourselves about with the loins, uh, girded our loins with truth. So that shouldn't be an issue. Anytime we find something in this natural life, whether it's our own thinking or circumstance that contradicts the word, we have to choose. Are we going to accept our feelings? Are we going to accept our thinking? Are we going to accept the circumstance? Or are we going to accept the word of God to be true? If you're going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, the word's always true. Period. Yeah, but what about? There are no yeah, but what abouts? Because if you're going to be strong in the Lord... And in the power of his might, if you're going to rest in him and in his finished work, that means the Bible is true. No matter how you feel. No matter what thought comes to your mind. If a contradicting thought comes to your mind, a thought that you're worthless, oh, I'm so unrighteous, I'm so unworthy, blah, blah, blah. If those thoughts come, you have to answer those with the word. Say, well, okay, that may be true that I'm feeling that way. But the word of God says I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Both can't be true. Both can't be reality, which one's real? God's word is always real. So even though I feel worthless, even though I feel unworthy, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you 'll do that in the face of your failures, that'll give you strength to not fail next time. That's how you overcome. You'll never rise above the level of your confession. So if you confess that you're righteous and therefore you're strong in the Lord, you'll be strong in the Lord when the temptation comes around, or at least stronger. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, what if I stumble next time? Do the same thing and gain additional strength. Sooner or later, you won't fall. Thank God he's patient while we learn. <laughs> Wouldn't that be too bad if God says, okay, two times and then you're out. We'd all be out. Next one is verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace means there is no conflict between you and God, no matter what you do or what your situation is. The Bible says Jesus made peace between us and God. He broke down the middle wall of partition. In other words, that which separated us from God and made us on one side of the wall was the enemies of God. On the other side was God. Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition. Now we're on God's side. And nothing you can do, nothing that attacks you, no circumstance that comes up in your life can stop that from being the reality. You and God are working together. That means you have a gospel of peace. Everywhere you go, every place you put the the sole of your foot, every place you walk by faith, you are in peace with God. You're in his favor. He's on your side. Yeah, but I don't feel like it, Pastor Mike. I feel like he's a million miles away. Well, here's another contradicting statement where the word says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He never said you wouldn't feel like he forsook you. He just said he'll never leave So even if you feel like he's a million miles away, he said he's always there. So what's true? Your feelings are the word. First thing we did, we put that belt of truth on. That means the word's true no matter what. And folks, that's the only way you can be strong in the Lord. Next thing it says, verse 16, above all, that doesn't mean more importantly than all, it means over all, on top of all. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith begins where the will of God is known. That means when we hear the word of God, uh, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When you find out what the Bible says belongs to you, that shield of faith will protect you no matter what. But what if it feels like those darts are punching through? Well, which is true. The way we feel or the word of God. It always comes down to the same thing, folks. If the word is not the final authority in your life, you're never going to receive what God has for you. Above all, taking the shield of faith... Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation. What's the helmet of salvation? It's a renewed mind. The helmet goes over your head. He's talking about the renewed mind. He's talking about renewing your mind to the word. It's a process. Because we all run into situations where where life circumstance or situations that we encounter contradict the word. Well, it's a process. It's a learning process of whether or not to accept the consequence or accept the word to be true. We've all accepted consequences in the past. And as a result, we failed to receive from God. So in case you haven't gotten there yet, let me help you out. Give you a little heads up. Give you a head start. A little boost on the way. Consequences will never bring you into the blessings of God. You're going to have to renew your mind to what the Bible says, no matter what it looks like, no matter how it feels, no matter what somebody else tells you. Folks, have you noticed the theme here? It all comes down to accepting the word of God to be true. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, because what we're talking about is we're talking about accepting what the Bible says is done to be done. Taking the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Now here's the only offensive weapon and that is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Notice what you're supposed to do with this armor. Praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In other words, this is spiritual protection as well as a spiritual weapon. Now if we're, if we've put on the armor of God which is the the, the result of being strong in the Lord, it's the the... The steps that we take to we choose. Okay, I'm going to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And here's how I do it: I accept the word to be true. I put on the garment. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on the helmet of salvation. I I have my feet shod with the gospel of peace. All those things. Okay, now what? Now I'm ready to pray. Why? Because if you know who you are in Christ, if you know the word of God is true, if you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ, you know God's on your side, you've got faith that will protect you from anything that the devil does, you've got the helmet of salvation, which is a renewed mind, you've got the sword of the Spirit, there is no way your prayer can't be answered. Because your prayer is based on the truth of God's word. And God's word never fails. So what do we do? Well, if we go back to the beginning in verse 10, finally, brethren... He talks about a progression of things. The progression is put on the armor. The armor is necessary for you to stand in the fight. Now that we've got the armor on, now that we know that our prayers are always going to be heard and answered, what do we do? Having done all to stand, stand. How long? Till the answer is there. Well, how do we know the answer is going to come? Because we just put on the armor of God. We've got a foundation for our prayer so that it's impossible for our prayer not to be heard and answered because we based it on the word. We've based it on the truth of God's word. We've based everything we're doing on the truth of God's word. Therefore, it's impossible for God to not hear and answer his word. So what do you do? You stand. Now, how long is it going to take? Jesus said, talking about the prayer of faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, he said, therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire? Well, we're talking about healing. The question was about healing. So let's keep it in the context of healing. What things, you desire, the healing that you desire when you pray. The only thing he says about time is when you pray, when you pray, believe. When are you supposed to believe? Not when you see the answer, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the healing that you desire and you shall have them. Now, wouldn't it be great if he said, believe for five minutes that you'll have them or believe that you have them for five minutes and it'll be yours. Wouldn't that be great? I'm sure there's still some people that wouldn't make the mark. Wouldn't be willing to believe for five minutes, but wouldn't it be great if he gave you a time period? If he gave us a time period, you know what we'd be doing? Watching the clock. We're not supposed to watch the clock. We're supposed to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're supposed to keep our eyes on the truth of the word, not on the clock. So for those people that always have the the question or the issue for them is time. And it's the most common question there is concerning faith and healing. For those people that have an issue with the time, when is it going to be? Let me suggest that you get your eyes off the clock and back on the Lord. Get your eyes off the wind and back on what the word says is yours. You preoccupy yourself with the truth of the word concerning healing. You become more aware of the truth of God's word concerning healing, the finished work of Jesus concerning healing than you are time. And time will never be a problem for you again. Because whether it's short or whether it's long, doesn't matter. The truth of God's word will always get you through. And folks, that's the issue. The truth of God's word is always the issue. My question for people that are are questioning time. I'm in faith. But when's it going to happen? Well, how do you know you're in faith? If you're looking at the clock, if you're looking at the time period, how do you know you're in faith? The Bible says faith is the evidence of things not seen. Anytime somebody starts talking about time, they're talking about things they can see. So if I start looking at this saying, okay, Lord, when, when is this going to work? I've just shifted my eyes off of the truth of the word onto circumstance. And I'm using circumstance to judge where I am. The Bible says it's mine because the word says so. The Bible says it's mine because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, I'm healed. I'm not going to be more healed when when healing shows up in my body than I am when I pray. The word doesn't change when somebody's physical condition amends. The word's the same. But anytime it's the issue of time, it's the devil trying to distract you and get your eyes off the truth of the word that says it's already yours and over on to. Yeah, but when is go- when's it going to be any better? Because if he can trap you in circumstance, then he can keep you out of faith. So let me make a suggestion to those of you where time is the issue. If you had it now, meaning if you could see the result now, what would you do? Oh, Pastor Micah, be so happy. Well, get happy because it's yours now. That's what faith does. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham wasn't strong in faith, looking for when it was going to work. Abraham gave glory to God before he saw any difference. That's the faith that you were supposed to emulate. That's the faith we're supposed to use as an example. So get as happy now because God's word says it's done as you would be if the doctor said it was done. Hello. Okay. Next question. Yeah, that's not about healing. We'll wait and see if we have time for that. (laughs) Here's a great question. Can I lay hands on heathens for healing? (laughs) Yeah, get all the heathens you can. I found that it's a lot of times easier to get the unsaved healed than it is Christians. And the reason for that is unsaved people who are called unbelievers aren't expected to believe. Believers are supposed to believe. And it's harder to get some Christians, some believers to overcome their religious teaching or training or what they've heard, you know, denominational stuff that they've heard or background, whatever it is. A lot of times it's harder to dig that up and get somebody over in faith than it is to just simply say to somebody that's unsaved, hey, you know, the Bible says that Jesus told us in the Bible that we're supposed to go out and lay hands on the sick. And when we lay hands on the sick, they get well. You mind if I lay hands on you? Well, what are they doing? If they say yes, they're accepting what you just said about Jesus and healing. And they don't even know they're operating in faith. And and it may be such a low level of faith, you may not be able to even define it as faith, but they've at least given their assent for you to act on the word on their behalf. So in some of those cases, you can get them saved on your faith. Well, how do I know if I'm really in faith about that, Pastor Mike? Well, if you're laying hands on them because the Bible says so, that's faith. Anytime there's obedience to God's word, that's faith in action. So get all the unsaved people you can and lay hands on them. And watch and see what God does. God has no problem proving himself to people that don't know him. He has a harder time proving himself to his children. Because any, anybody that's a child of God that's looking for proof means they don't believe. It means they're starting off saying, well, I don't really believe in you, Father. So prove something. God's not in the proof business where there's children and his family is concerned. Brother Hagin used to say that God did not put gifts of healings and um, uh, working of miracles in the church for the body of Christ to heal herself with. We're supposed to get healed on our own faith. Well, where do we develop that faith? Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Every believer is supposed to be developing themselves in faith as they grow in the knowledge of the Word. But that's not true where the unsaved are concerned. The unsaved aren't supposed to be reading the Bible. You know what I mean by that. It's okay if they do. But you know what I mean by that. God doesn't expect unsaved people to read the Bible. If unsaved people read the Bible, their reasons for that must be because they have some kind of faith or expectation where the Bible is concerned. Well, if that were the case, they wouldn't be unsaved. So can I lay hands on the unsaved and get them healed? Absolutely. Listen, the workplace is the best place to get people uh, get people healed. Absolutely the best place to get people healed because you don't have to preach a message. You just have to just very simply say, look, the Bible says that Christians can lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Can I lay hands on you? Well, who's going to say no to that? No, I don't want any part of your Christianity. Okay. Just trying to help. Go lay hands on somebody else and watch the person that rejected you see them get well. See them recover supernaturally. They may change their mind. Dealing with the unsaved is the easiest things in the world. We've even seen a lot of success with praying for people uh, in church that are not saved when it comes to healing. Because I can carry somebody that I know is not saved a lot better than I can carry somebody that's supposed to be using their own faith. God expects more of his children than he does the world. Okay, uh, let's see. That was not about healing either. Let's see. Is it a daily thing to declare that you are healed when you are standing in faith? Because James 5.15 makes it sound like an issue that is resolved on the spot, and the healing will come as long as you have faith for it. Um, well, turn with me over to James chapter 5. Let's see, what's the best way to, to approach this? Um, James chapter 5 it says is any sick among you verse 14 is any sick among you the implication is there shouldn't be let them call for the elders of the church and let them the el- by the way the elders of the church is the equivalent of the modern day church staff ministry staff that's all elders mean there's no special designation or anything like that it would be like an assistant pastor it'd be like youth pastors children's pastors that kind of stuff it's just ministry staff of the church that's all So he said, let the elders, let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, the sick, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before. Paul never said a word about anointing with all because it's not a part of any other Gentile culture. James is the only one that mentions it because the Jews had that as a part of their culture and their history. They understood something about anointing with all. The anointing with all was a a, a process. It was used throughout Jewish history as a means of separating Whatever you're putting the oil on, whatever you're anointing with oil under the work and the service of God. So it's literally saying what Paul told the Corinthians that their bodies had been purchased by God. Both their bodies and their spirits had been purchased by Jesus. So Paul said the same thing. He said the same truth to the Gentiles, but not through the anointing of the oil. It, it, it's not a part of the Gentile culture. Why would he tell them to do something when the anointing with oil is not the healing agent in any way? James, however, did because of the culture of the Jews and the history of the Jews. So he said, let them, the elders, pray over the sick, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And notice what does the work. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Notice it, said, it indicates that sometimes sickness can be in the, the believer as a result of sins. It's not saying that's always the case. See, so many times people will say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm being attacked with sickness. Uh, can you help me find the sin in my life? folks, I don't even want to look for the sin in your life. Maybe maybe there's some sin. Maybe there's some secret sin. Because David said, Lord, cleanse me from secret sins. Well, would somebody tell me what that means? It's quoted a lot, but somebody tell me what David was talking about. What's a secret sin? I've never had a secret sin. I've always been there when I sinned. And I always knew that I was sinning. A secret sin is something you don't know. Yeah, well, maybe it's something I did inadvertently. Then God doesn't count it as sin. Because if it was not following, if it was not a a wrong action from the intent of the heart, then God looks on the heart. He saw your heart as doing right, even if you did the wrong thing. There is no such thing as a secret sin for a believer. No such thing. Well, what's David saying? David is an unsaved man saying, I want to stay in right fellowship with you. Well, okay, you got to admire that. But there's no such thing as a secret sin for a believer. I've never seen anybody yet that went looking for sins that didn't find something that tripped them up. Stick with what you know. So he says sometimes sin can be the cause of a Christian being sick. Not always, but it's possible. But even if that is the case, and some people hear that and say, oh, that must be my situation. Oh, dear God, what am I going to do? Well, notice what he said. He said the same prayer of faith that heals the sick, forgives sins. It's not even a special prayer. It's not even something that added to the prayer of faith for healing. He said the same prayer of faith that will heal the sick will forgive the person that's committed sins. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It's all part of the package, folks. God's not trying to make this hard. He's trying to make it easy. Jesus really was a package deal. Sin and sickness, price was paid for sin and sickness all in one. So he said, let the elders, let them call for the elders and let the elders pray over them, anointing with oil in the the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, let me ask you a question. Verse 15, and the Lord shall raise him up. When? See, everybody wants to know when. Like I said, when is the most common question that anybody ever has. Well, when's the Lord going to raise him up? Again, wouldn't it be great if it's saying by Friday afternoon, sickness would be gone. Wouldn't that be great? God settles up every Sabbath day. So if you make it to the weekend, you'll be okay. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's not the way God works. Because again, if that were the case, we'd be watching the clock or the calendar. We'd be counting the days rather than focusing on what Jesus did. And faith is based on the truth of what Jesus has accomplished. It's based on the word, not based on time. So when it says the Lord shall raise him up, it just simply means the Lord shall raise him up. Now, I don't control God's schedule. Do you? I've tried and it doesn't work. I'm sure you've tried too. So when is he going to get the job done? Don't know. It's going to be in a day, going to be a week, going to be in a month. I don't know, but I've never known God to fall down on the job yet. If it says the Lord shall raise him up, then all I can tell you is the Lord shall raise him up. Well, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Thank him because it's done. Why? Because the prayer of faith says it's mine. I have it now. Not I have it when I change, when things look different. I have not. I'll have it when the doctor says it's gone. Faith says it's mine, I have it now. Why? Because God's word says it's finished. So when it comes to the things that you believe, how often do you talk about what you believe? Brother Hagin used to use this example. He said, faith and love are are very similar. Faith works by love. He said, you get a married couple that, that say when they get married that they love each other and never say, never confess their love for one another again. He said, that's going to be a cold and dry and dead marriage. He said, but the more they confess their love for one another, the more that love grows. The more conscious they are of their relationship and the benefits thereof. He said, faith works that way too. He said, it's not a matter of being required to speak your confession or say what you believe so many times a day. But if you believe something and it's real to you, wouldn't you want to say it? I mean, if you really believe that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sickness, wouldn't you want to thank God many times a day for it? See, that's when faith becomes real. When it's not a matter of, okay, I've got to try to make this work, so I, let's see, what am I supposed to say? I confess that Jesus bore my infirmities and took my sickness, and with his stripes I was healed. That's not the kind of faith that works. The kind of faith that works is, oh, Father, thank you so much that Jesus did the work. That according to the word of God, he took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I am healed. It's so good to be healed, Father. And I'm saying that by faith because I believe your word's more true than the circumstance in my body. That's the kind of faith that works. That's the kind of faith that's real. That's the kind of faith that's alive. Well, the things that I thank God for from my heart, I thank Him a thousand times a day. Remember when you, you parents, remember when you first had your kids? How many times did you thank God for those babies? Constantly. Oh, Father, thank you for these kids. Thank you for this baby. Good night's sleep would be helpful, but thank you for this baby. Right? No matter whatever else is going on, no matter what downside there is, you're thanking God for it constantly. Why? Because it's real to you. If faith for healing is real to you, you'll thank God for healing. If the word is real to you in the area of healing, you won't have to think about making a confession. That's why keeping your focus on the word is such a critical issue. Because the more you focus on the truth of God's word, and really what we're talking about is meditating in the word. The more you remind yourself of what the Word of God says, it works in the area of healing, but it works in every area. works in the area of finances, works in the area of righteousness, works in every area. The more you remind yourself and meditate, think on, consider what the Bible says about what belongs to you in whatever area you have need, then the more real it becomes. Then it becomes something more than just, okay, I'm trying to confess it to make it real. Now it's something I thank God for because the Word says it's already done. I remember when righteousness first dawned on me. Man, I got so happy about it. When I when it occurred to me that righteousness was not dependent on how good I'm doing. Man, that set me free. And from that point on, righteousness was all I could think about. Not from the standpoint of confessing to make it real, but from the standpoint of thanking God because it is real. It was real all the time. It was done. It was accomplished all the time. I just didn't know it. Here I am going through life stumbling, thinking God's mad at me when I fall trying to struggle, trying to gain my own strength to overcome it, couldn't do it. And finally, one day, the Holy Ghost just spoke to me through the word. The Holy Ghost spoke to me and reminded me, showed me that the Bible says that I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I got so happy about righteousness, I couldn't think about anything else. See, that's the way it works when something becomes real to you. When you meditate on something to the point where it becomes real to you, thanking God becomes a piece of cake. Confession is never an issue in that area ever again. I think what's happened is a lot of people have just tried to take faith as a formula instead of meditating on the the scriptures that promise them what they need, whether it's healing or whatever it is, and meditating on those scriptures until they become alive. Once those scriptures become alive, you don't have any questions about confession from that point on. It becomes a matter of thanking God because something has been done. It becomes a matter of thanking God because something is accomplished. It means thanking God because it's yours now. I remember, um, it's been a number of years ago. Um, I don't do this very much. haven't done it maybe a couple of years throughout the whole 27 years of the church. But there was one year that I believed God for an amount of money. And it was uh, it was during a building program. And I started off the first part of the year and said, okay, Lord, I'm going to begin confessing for X amount of dollars this year for the church. Not for me. It didn't have anything to do with me. I'm talking about income for the church. So, Lord, thank you for X amount of dollars for this for the church this year. And um, and it was big number, bigger number than we'd ever hit. It was big increase over the year before. But I started in January out just a, almost right at the first of the year, just a week or so into January. And so all year long, every morning I'd get in the shower. It just became a part of my routine. I wouldn't think about it much during the day, but every morning when I get in the shower, thank you, Lord, that we have X amount of dollars for the for this year. In Jesus' name, sometimes I'd remind God of what he said in Mark eleven twenty three. You said, whosoever shall say and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He'll have whatsoever say it, he saith. So thank you, Father, for X amount of dollars for this year. So it went on and, uh, and the different things, a series of things happened during the year to where we were really going to need the money. Well, I'm confessing January, February, March, April, May, all through the year. It gets down to about, um, Oh, I don't know. Middle of the year, maybe August, something like that, and we're way behind. I mean, way behind. Not just behind the number that I've that I've been confessing. We're way behind last year's number. And so I'm thinking, well, that's not a big deal. You know, usually the way church finances worked back then, uh, most of the, the bulk of the year would come in in the last quarter of the year. So we'll be okay, no problem. September, I'm confessing the word. October, I'm confessing the word. I get down to about eight weeks left in the year. And we're so far behind, it's almost impossible for that number to to get there. And the first thought the devil had, we were behind the previous year. And the first thought that the devil brought to me is, you better give up on your new number and just believe God for what you had last year. And I picked that up for a half a second. I considered that and thought, oh, wow yeah, maybe we ought to just be satisfied with what we had last year. And then I realized that was the devil trying to steal my faith. And so I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I've been saying all year long, we're going to have X amount of dollars for this year. Bless God, we're going to have X amount of dollars this year. And I pumped myself up. It, It was all soul, not spirit. It was all soul. I pumped myself up on this to such a degree that I got out of the shower and I said, yes, bless God, it's done, it's ours, it's mine no matter what. And then tomorrow morning came around. And there's that thought. I mean, the devil is hammering me, waiting for me at the door of the shower, hammering me about this thing. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've, I've dealt with this thing, struggled with this thing for a couple of weeks. Now I'm down to about six weeks left in the whole year. And the amount of money that we're short on what I've been confessing is about half the amount that all of last year came in, in six weeks. So I'm struggling. I struggled another week. I struggled two more weeks. I struggled three more weeks. I'm down to three weeks left in the year. I don't even have a full month left, and the devil's laughing at me. And yeah, so you should have settled for last year. You're still behind that. You're not even going to come up with last year's amount now. And so I struggled with it for another week, and finally, two weeks left in the year. Finally, I'm in the shower, and I'm just praising God. Not because I want to. I'm just trying to hurry up and get out of that shower as fast as I can. And I'm just praising God, giving him a sacrifice of praise, saying, thank you, Father, that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. And all of a sudden, I had a mini revelation. And that was this, the Holy Ghost who brings all things to your remembrance. Jesus said he brings things to your remembrance, whatever he said. Mark eleven twenty three came to me. Now, folks, I live Mark eleven twenty three. I preach Mark eleven twenty three. It's one of the first sermons we ever preached when we started the church. I'm preaching it all the time. But Mark eleven twenty three came to me by the Holy Ghost. And he said this, and, and, and here's how it came. The verse of scripture was quoted. It just came floating up from my spirit. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. And here was the emphasis. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And, and just, just like that. I mean, nothing, no fanfare. But when those last few words, that last phrase came out. He shall have whatsoever he saith. I realized it dawned on me. It occurred to me. Wait a minute. I've been saying this stuff for 50 weeks. Father, it's impossible for this not to work. For this not to work, your word would have to be a lie. I've been saying it. There's no talking about when it's going to come after the year. You know, maybe, maybe some will come after the first of the year. No way. I've been saying we'd have X amount of dollars for this year. And it became so real to me in a matter of a few seconds it became so real to me that i had the victory i mean it was mine it, forget it mr devil this money is mine and in that last two weeks half of the previous year's income came in we got the number but it happened notice the progression i'm acting on the word i'm i'm you tell me i we could disagree or speculate did I say it just because it was something I had in mind or was it the Holy Ghost that prompted me to do it in the beginning of the year I don't have an answer for that I don't know I think it was just me I'm not aware that it was the Holy Ghost prompted me to do it because I'm the one that came up with the number it wasn't something that I that I that that the Holy Ghost gave me it wasn't something I prayed about I think I'm the one that came up with the number but that fits mark 1123 doesn't it whosoever shall say it doesn't say whosoever shall say whatever God wants them to say It says, whosoever shall say. So I've been confessing this thing for 50 weeks. The last two were fun. The first six months wasn't anything to it. One way or the other, it's just obedience to what Jesus said would work. The next five months, not so fun. Because that's when the devil started whispering in my ear. The last two weeks were a blast. Because I woke up every day looking for the devil. I went to the shower looking around to see where he was. Those last two weeks were fun because I knew that I knew that I knew. Now, folks, that's what I'm talking about. When the word of God becomes more real to you than anything else, that's when faith becomes fun. Because you know what the end result is. You don't have to worry about when. Time's not a problem. Who cares? If I have to thank God for this for six more months, it's fun to do. Who cares? See what I'm saying? So the things you believe should come out of your mouth automatically as praise. You don't have to work up some confession. If you're having to work up some confession, let me recommend to you that you find the scripture that you based your faith on and meditate in it further. Because the longer you stay there, the more the Holy Ghost will show you. Amen. Okay, let's see. Okay, here's two questions. We've got two questions left. Uh, neither one of them have to do with healing. One of them says, "What do you have to do to get to heaven?" I know you have to accept Jesus, but don't you also have to follow His word? Accepting Jesus is following His word. Paul, or uh, um, what's his name? Peter says it this way. He said, "We're born again by the incorruptible seed of God's word." So when you accept Jesus into your heart, that is accepting his word. Now, I think I know what the question is asking. The question is asking, once you're saved, shouldn't you want to live by the word? Well, yeah, you should. Unfortunately, not everybody does. Unfortunately, not every Christian wants to live their life based on the word. And because they want, they're passing up on some of the blessings of God here. They're failing to reach their potential, the full potential of what Jesus died for us to have. Jesus said, uh, uh, "Well, there's only one. Uh, there's only one question that's going to matter where somebody's eternity is concerned, and that question is Jesus." Jesus said that He's the one that came to. He didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Well, what does that mean? That means Jesus is the dividing line between heaven and hell. Anybody that accepts Jesus and the work that He did on the cross uh, for their sins, there as His as their personal Savior, that gets them in. Even if they live a lousy, terrible, ungodly life afterwards. Now, I'm not the one to judge whether or not somebody really made Jesus the Lord of their lives. I know some people will say, well, if you really got saved, you're not going to live an ungodly life. Okay, well, I understand the theory behind that, but I can't judge whether or not somebody really got saved. Can you? The Bible says that's between them and God. So if somebody says that they got saved, if somebody says that they made Jesus the Lord of their lives, but it doesn't show up in their life, it sure makes us wonder. I wonder about some politicians that say they're saved. Really? Seriously? You really think this is what being saved means? But it's not up to me to judge. I don't know. So yeah, we should want to live by the word. But living by the word is not the entrance, the key to the entrance in heaven. Jesus is. Jesus is. Now why don't Christians live by the word? Well, it could be that they don't know the reality of the word. The Bible says there was an interesting thing. I grew up in a Baptist church and and um, uh, I remember more hell being preached than heaven. You know what I mean by that? There was no come to Jesus because he loves you so much. It was more there is a hell waiting for you and you deserve it. You know, they tried to scare people out of hell by getting, you know, trying to get them saved. and uh, and, and I'm not criticizing that, you know. I'm not their judge. But in Romans chapter, I think it's Romans chapter 2. It occurred to me one day when I was reading along, and this was when I was a teenager, even before I'd left that church. It says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. See, we have a tendency to want to tell people what will happen to them if they don't do right. And that rarely makes a difference in anybody's life. People know what they deserve. Us telling them what they deserve is really not going to help them. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Now, the difference in what I know now and the church I grew up in, I want to serve God. I want to follow God because I found out how good He is. I found out what Jesus did and it's precious to me. Well, I was saved in that church, but I wasn't so gung ho about following God because I didn't know anything about Him. I didn't know He was good like I know now. And consequently, I looked at life and thought, well, if I live a, a Christian life that they tell me I'm supposed to and and their whole thing was all the stuff you can't do and some of the stuff they said you can't do looked fun. I, I, I remember thinking very specifically, if I live the way they want me to live, I'm going to miss out on a lot of good stuff in life. And I didn't know that God would bring you into even better stuff than you try to get when you sin. You know, I, I didn't know that nobody's teaching me that. So I think we do better when we focus on the goodness of God and what's available to people and why they should want to follow him. The hardest thing for me to get as a young person was that God wanted better for me than I wanted for myself. Cause I know, I knew what I wanted for myself. And somebody said that one day. Somebody said, God wants better for you than you want for yourself. And I thought, yeah, what he's saying is God wants you to not do all this other stuff cause it's going to be better in heaven. But he went a little bit further. He said, no, He said, what I'm talking about is this. God wants you to have the best here on earth. Even more than you do. Well, that got my attention. They ran him out of the Baptist church. For telling the young people that. But he was on to something. And I remember. I don't remember anything else that happened in the youth group. But I remember that. And that stuck with me. I didn't believe it. I didn't accept it. But that stuck with me. And I remember even years later. Looking back. And realizing God was trying to get across to me that he didn't want to take anything from me in life. He wanted to give me something. He wanted to give me better than what I could get for myself. Well, When I finally came to that realization, I wish I'd been younger when I found that out. When I finally came to to that realization, when I finally accepted that, man, that changed everything about me. Because now I'm not looking to run away or hide from God so I can do something fun. I'm looking for God to be my source of goodness and blessings and fun. And it's so much better because now you don't have to try to sneak off to have what you think is fun and then feel bad because you, you know, turned away from God. Would you let him be the source? Oh, that's so much better. Well, if we teach people right and teach them who God is, give them a right picture of God, I believe they'll want to walk in the truth. I believe they'll want to keep the word. Amen. Amen. All right. Got one left. If I've been baptized as a baby, would I need to be baptized again? For the first time in my life, I've found Jesus. Um Bible says that water baptism is an outward sign of something that's happened within. If somebody got uh, was baptized and, and churches do all kinds of things different. There's confirmations where they're, you know, kids are sprinkled and, and and different things like that. Some some churches teach that water baptism is um the proof that you're saved and, and so forth. And and folks, water doesn't have anything to do with salvation. If water was the key to salvation, all you'd have to do is go swimming and everybody would be saved. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Water is just an outward sign of something that has happened on the inside. If nothing happened on the inside, then it's not a sign of anything. Now, the the picture of baptism that the Bible paints, and again, denominations do this differently. presbyterians sprinkle because that's supposed to be a sign of the Holy Ghost that came down on Jesus. Baptists Dunk. Because it's a sign of the old man going into the grave, being buried with Jesus and the new man coming out of the water. Well, that's that's a, a more accurate picture of what, what baptism was supposed to depict. Nothing wrong with sprinkling. Again, it's an outward sign of something that's happened on the inside. So really what happened in a person's heart is what matters. So. Um, and another thing about water baptism. Paul didn't make a big deal about what baptism with the Gentiles. Well, Why? Is baptism not a big deal? Well, I think it is a big deal. And here's the reason I think it's a big deal. Because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, in other words, if, you, if you're not ashamed of me in public, I won't be ashamed of you in heaven. So that's a big deal for me. But Paul spoke, wrote to the churches, and he says, I didn't baptize hardly any of you. And then he makes mention of the few people that he did baptize. Well, it seems like Paul getting half the city turned out to hear him preach and getting saved and stuff like that. It seems like Paul would have had some real big baptism services. But apparently not. Apparently not. Because water baptism does not signify, or well, it signifies, water baptism is not the determining element of salvation, but rather the decision that you make in your heart to accept Jesus as the Lord of your life. Now, if it was me, and all I can tell you is if it was me, if I had been baptized as a child and it didn't mean anything because I wasn't saved, I'd get baptized when I got saved. But that's just me. If somebody says, well, I got baptized as a child and now I'm saved and I don't feel like I need to do it again, I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. It's between them and God. The, The biggest thing is the Bible talks about baptism in a number of different ways. Being baptized into Christ is the issue. You do that when you ask Jesus to come into your heart. You do that when you get saved. Being saved is being baptized into Christ. Water baptism is just an outward sign. It's, just a, it's the same thing as communion. It shows, it symbolizes something that's already taken place. That's all it is. So I don't really know how to answer some per, somebody's question beyond that. I'm not going to be the one to tell you you have to. Because I don't have spiritual authority for it. Scriptural authority for it. But I can certainly see how somebody might want to. And if that was the case, then I would encourage them if that's the way they were leaning. But water baptism doesn't, doesn't make the difference in somebody's salvation. Because if somebody hasn't been saved, then water baptism doesn't save them. Amen? Okay, well, that's all the questions we got. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the precious Holy Ghost who teaches us and instructs us. I thank you, Lord. That your word is always true. And because it's true. We can stand upon it with confidence. Knowing. No matter what the circumstance. No matter what the situation. Knowing. That hell itself doesn't have enough power. The devil himself doesn't have enough power. To keep the word from being a reality in our lives. Therefore we declare. That the word is true for us. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his triumphs were healed. Father, it's so good to be healed. Thank you so much that Jesus paid the price. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great week. Hope you come back on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night at 7.